0: of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm Eric Whiteman here at the XML Group. So glad you could join me today. On the last show, I said we could be at the beginning of a new bull market. I know to some of you that may sound crazy. Last week, the S&P broke below its 50-day moving average, but it did bounce off its early June level of around 3250. That could act as a level of support but I'm not going to bet the farm on it. As I said, I do believe that we could be at the start of a new bull market, but we need to get through the here and now, the elections. Up until then, anything can happen, including another 10% drop on the nearly 10% drop that we've already had. It's possible. The Fed is on the sidelines. Congress seems like it's deadlocked on another fiscal stimulus package. I'm certainly not a political analyst, but it seems to me that with the passing of Justice Ginsburg, the battle over the Supreme Court has taken precedent over the fiscal stimulus. Congress can get something done sooner rather than later. Then I think the markets will react kindly if they don't pass something in the next few weeks. Well, I think you could see the market revolt either way. I think the odds are high that the volatility is going to remain elevated into the election. And I'm going to use this time to do some reshuffling because I don't think that the next run in equities is going to look the same as the last run. The last run, the last five years, it's been about a handful of stocks, the FANG names. You know them. They've given back some of their gains here the last few weeks. Apple, for example, has dropped somewhere between, what, 15 and 20%? jaw dropping, right? But it's still up something like 50% for the year. I'm just not convinced the correction in the NASDAQ is over. The options market seems pretty lopsided to me. So the bottom line is, is we have a lot of uncertainty, a lot of volatility. So use that to your advantage. I'll tell you one place, one sector that I'd be looking to put some money into over the next couple of months. And We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But I want to switch gears here for a minute or two. I get a lot of emails from people who have questions. And one of the most frequently asked by the soon to be retirees is what's the right allocation? What's the right asset allocation for me? How much should I have in stocks and bonds and cash? And I tell you, that's a hard question to answer, especially on a podcast, because there's so much of that answer depends on that particular person. The old rule of thumb that some investors favor, it's a pretty simple one. You take your age and you subtract that from 100, and that gives you how much you should have in stocks. So for example, if you're 60, 60 from 100 gives you 40. Using that rule, you would have 40% in stocks and then the rest, the other 60% in bonds and cash. First of all, I think this is a terrible rule because if you're over hundred, that means you'd be shorting the market. And I'm not sure that's really what you want to do. But there's another way to go about it too, and that's something like the traverse, uh, traditional diversified portfolio made up of 60% stocks, 40% longer-term government and corporate bonds, kind of blended equally. And we're talking about U.S. stocks here, and since 19 the 1920s, a portfolio that's spread out like that has returned around 9% a year, including dividends. So that's pretty good. According to Bloomberg, that's only 1.2% less than the S&P 500, but with roughly a third less volatility than volatility, that's a common measure of risk. That sounds pretty good. That's all and well and good, but let's face it, most of us don't have anywhere near That 100-year investment time horizon they're talking about, we don't have that in front of us. The data stretches back to the 1920s, but it does provide us with some good information because we also need to think about where we are now. And to know where we are now, I think it's helpful to look back at where we came from. Bonds as a whole, well, they've done pretty darn good over the last 30, 40 years, We've been in a long-term bull market for bonds. The peak in interest rates was back in the uh, late 1981. In October of that year, you could have bought a 10-year Treasury. That's right, a 10-year U.S. Treasury that was paying you almost 14 and a half percent. That's right, 14 and a half percent sounds outrageous now, right? But at that time you had an equally outrageous amount of inflation. And that's the increase in the cost of goods and services. Cost of goods and services were growing up almost 11% a year. So you invested at 14%, but you lost 11% to inflation. So you really made about 3% after inflation. Now, since the early 80s, Bond yields and inflation have dropped significantly. And that's been good for bondholders. The yield and the price of a bond have an inverse relationship, meaning yields go down and prices go up, and vice versa. It's like a seesaw. Let me give you an example. And I'll exaggerate to make the point. If you walk into a bank and you ask the banker for a CD, And she goes in the vault and she looks around and says, well, I have some of these two percenters I can sell you. So you say, "Okay, I'll buy them. Next week, when you're walking past the bank, you see a sign in the window advertising three percent CDs. Now here you are holding a two percent CD and the bank is now selling three percenters. Are yours worth more or less? Well, of course, they're worth less. Well, not worthless, but worth less, if you have to sell your 2% CDs, you have to sell them for less than what you paid for them because the banker is selling 3% CDs. You have to sell yours for less to make yours attractive. Make sense? Okay. Interest rates have been on a downward trend since the early 80s to where they are now, practically at zero. And our central bank is telling us that they're going to be near zero for a long while. They're saying they aren't going to move rates until 2023. And I think it could even be longer, to be honest. And what that means is that if you have that traditional type 60-40 allocation, 40% of your portfolio is earning maybe 3%. That's the bond portion, maybe 3%. That's before taxes and inflation. And that leaves a lot of heavy lifting for the other 60% of your portfolio, the 60% that's probably in equities. My point is, is that you just don't go by the old rule of thumb. I don't think they work very well now. What I think works great is by having a good financial plan in place, and that's going to lead you to an asset allocation that more closely matches your situation you need help, well, let us know. Happy to help. Okay. Let's talk about this rebalancing of the portfolio. I said I'd give you one sector that I think is attractive. Of course, you always have to do your own research and make sure whatever you're thinking about is appropriate for you. You just don't buy something because you heard about it on the TV or read about it online. So one place I'd be looking at allocating new money is to the machinery sector. I know doesn't sound as alluring or as interesting as the latest greatest technology to come along but I do think that some of these names offer good value from a big picture perspective you have a number of factors which should give a boost to these names over the next year or so first you have China providing a good deal of stimulus to their economy and they're big purchasers second you have a declining dollar which usually acts as a material tailwind for the machinery stocks and that's because machinery becomes less expensive to foreign buyers and these stocks get a significant portion of their revenues from overseas and finally here at home manufacturing looks to be or, or looks to be having a healthy recovery and inventory looks to be running low too and there are a lot of names here that you can look like uh, look at like Ingersoll-Rand, symbol IR, Illinois Toolworks, ITW, DEER, DE. But my favorite is Caterpillar, symbol CAT. And Cat is trading right around 147, as I speak, paying right around a two and three quarter percent dividend. It's a nice dividend. The analysts are saying that Cat will probably earn around $5.20 per share this year. And if I break out my handy dandy calculator, it would tell me that it's trading right about 28 times this year's expected earnings. Way too high, right? Yeah, I think so. Sometimes with these cyclical type stocks, you actually want to buy them when the PE or their price to earnings multiple is high and sell them when they're low. And that's because their earnings, their cyclical companies, their earnings can plummet and then they can skyrocket. Cat is probably a good example of that earnings have dropped significantly here over the last year or so. And as I said, they're expecting to earn about $5.20 a share this year. But those same analysts are guessing that Cat's earnings jumped to $7.10 next year. So that's a huge increase. And that would mean that Cat is trading about 20 times next year's earnings, which isn't that far away. And you could see big increases in earnings from there. Think about this a couple of ways. First, I think Cat is a well-run, high-quality business, and it's not going anywhere. Value Line gives them high marks. Actually, it gives them the highest mark, uh, uh, A-plus for their financial strength and a two for safety. And that means, well, they have a great balance sheet, and balance sheets matter. Earnings predictability is 45. That's on a scale of one to 100. So it's on the lower side, but that's what you would expect from a business like Caterpillar. Their earnings go up and down. From an earnings perspective, Cat has grown their earnings on average 9% a year for the last 10 years and 6.5% over the last five years. That's on average. And I think that's pretty decent, especially when you take into account the dividend that you receive. If CAT grows at 6% a year going forward, and you can buy it with close to a 3% dividend, well, I can do that math. That adds up to about a 9% total return, assuming the multiple doesn't change or what people are willing to pay for a dollar of their earnings. And that dividend, that dividend has been growing at about 8% a year for the last five, 10 years and that means that that dividend doubles in less than 10 years. As I said, I, I think it's time to look at these names, and out of the group, CAT has to be one of my favorites, so symbol CAT. It's one I own and one that we own in clients' portfolios. Okay, we've run out of time. We'll be back next week, and until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow up. I'm Eric Whiteman and this has been Common Sense Investing. Listen to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.